a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Well, look, let's get right into this. Always stoked to have this guy on the show. They're going to be hitting the uh, Montreal Club Soda on September 19th. A bunch of tour dates across the U.S. and Canada as well. Uh, record came out, geez, not too long ago. Dirty Honey, available wherever you get your music. Welcome back to the show, the one and only Mr. Mark LaBelle from Dirty Honey. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you boys doing? Good, good. Listen, it is almost September, and so therefore, uh, Mark and I are very excited about the NHL season coming up. That's that's what really what we're here about. It's coming in hot. You know, what's funny is I'm actually missing a buddy's cup party because we have a gig in Edmonton the day he has the cup in Denver. So I'm like, uh, oh man, it's like really killing me. But, you know, it's Edmonton. You you could probably cancel that gig and nobody would notice. Just, yeah, you know what? I've never been there, so I'm actually kind of excited to get up there, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I I looked at like every possible situation, flights and stuff to get down to Denver from there. And it's just it's too it's just too crazy. Mark, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I lived in Edmonton for eight months. You're not missing anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to find out for myself either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, they have a Denny's and they have a really big mall so that they got that going for them. I would imagine that they would have to have a big mall because it probably gets extremely cold up there. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the winter time, Mitch. Actually, one night I remember I got back from the radio station. I got into my car and it literally said minus fifty two degrees Celsius. Wow. With the wind chill, it's the wind because <laughs> it's just flat and open, right? So there's nowhere for the wind to like get. Dude, it's just freezing. Like balls falling off, freezing. I'm trying to figure out if I'm gonna take because we play in Saskatchewan before we go up to Edmonton, I think. And I'm I'm trying to figure out if I fly to Calgary, pick up a motorcycle, do the Icefields Parkway back to Edmonton for the gig and then do it all the way back to Calgary the next that, day. I'm, honestly, that'd be a super nice drive. I've yeah. done it before. I've done it once yeah. with my dad, but I haven't gone. I stopped in Jasper national park. I didn't go all the way to Edmonton. So oh, nice. Did you uh, like Jasper? It was cool. We just rode motorcycles. I didn't get to do any like hiking or anything, but, uh, yeah. but it's a nice yeah, area. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. Hello. Welcome to the travel channel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, look, hey, what, so what's going on with this tour? Uh, you know, what can we expect from the big Montreal show? I have to ask that question. Club Soda, September 19th. Man, I haven't been back there in a while. I know, I think we're supposed to go there with the Black Crows, but that got canceled. You guys had some pretty strict COVID. Uh, Very strict COVID. What's going yeah. on with that, man? You guys got to get that figured. Is that still happening? No, no, it's all been, everything's pretty much open now. Um, they don't even Do really I need to, a test to get into Canada still? No. No, not right now, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's oh like God. random. But the funny thing is that with the random testing. You just need testing, wads of cash to pay the border guard. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Slip them a couple hundred. But no, the weird thing is that like if you do, um, <laughs> like they have random testing of international travelers. So like if your flight gets selectable, then every single person on your plane has to get a random test. Yeah. Ew. Yeah, Fortunately, when I and what do you do if you're positive? Like, who does anybody even care in Canada I, anymore? Honestly, I don't even know. I mean, we were back. I, I was I was backstage at a show like two weeks ago, and pretty much everybody was sick backstage. They were like, "We got a tour. We we got shows going yeah, on." Like, yeah, I've been you know, there, man. Trust me. It's like uh, the herd hum, herd immunity at, at this point, or whatever they yeah, want to call it. Yeah. Well, we, let me just take up on the on the whole uh, COVID thing. The band was building momentum at the at the start of the pandemic. You had the EP out. You were doing some tours. You were going to go do the, the the Black Crows tour, 
and then everything shut down. Now, if you're the Black Crows or Kiss or Metallica, you just start it up and no problem. How much of that affect you? Because you, you shutting you down kills your momentum. Kills momentum and like, listen, we're not like as financially um, secure st- secure as Kiss or the Black Crows. Obviously, Correct. like you know, we're, like this is your job. You need it. Yeah, to we're we're still a relatively young band in our career, so we um you know it's definitely you're looking at you know, COVID restrictions being lifted and then you plan a tour and then you have to cancel the tour because there's a new wave or something. And it's like, man, you're just like, when are we going to get back out on the road? It was definitely a, it was definitely a bad dark time, but um, we got back out pretty quickly uh, compared to some other acts. And we really jumped on like the first wave of optimism. And um, I think we rode that into the first couple weeks of the black crows tour. And then things got pretty hairy again. Um mm. You know, I, I think, uh, again, during that tour, like it got pretty serious and, you know, we were still out there like doing our thing, but, you know, we kind of lived in a way where we didn't really care about it too much, right. to be honest. And, and how much did the, uh, the, the wolf tour help you that, or the, the mammoth tour? Cause that was a great pairing of two young bands. I mean, yeah, it was great for the fans. Great for the fans, for sure. Great for us. I think like, you know, we're definitely two of the hotter like rock bands out right now and correct. He's amazing, obviously live, and his band is great. And I think we got along really well on the road. But you know, I think musically we brought two different brands of and like little different styles of rock to you know audiences and helped each other you know grow a little bit. What what would be the differences you think? I I would look at 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 Wolf more sort of in that early two thousand ish kind of sound, and you're more sort of even maybe further back more of more of an 80s or 70s kind of like is that is that about right yeah i think um you know we're both four-piece rock bands yeah, you know yeah. but the approach is different i think he's definitely got a heavier um yeah. you know that heavier like hard, i would call him more like hard rock and we're a little more rock and roll a little more blues influence um right in the music mm-hmm. so but yeah i mean he said every night, he's like, we're both two live rock and roll bands playing everything live. There's no tracks. There's no auto tune. There's no faking anything. Um, so the no keyboard is like, off stage. Nobody's, he, nobody's behind he, the drum riser. <laughs> he literally would play the keyboard for like half of a song or something. And he was wow. would say like, I'm doing this solely to show like I, I yeah but did you have a teleprompter that's what i want to know I, no oh, neither i man i i screw up words all the time um <laughs> but yeah i i definitely respected that part of of both of our shows you know that they're both very live and you know there's no faking anything has it gotten more expensive for you to tour through this pandemic yes for sure yeah. we just did europe and it was uh every bus company is gouging you as much as they can obviously gas prices are crazy um just everybody the nature of everybody wanting to travel again increasing like hotel prices and stuff like that so it's like Mm. there's just this domino effect of inflation gas prices like yeah we we definitely because i don't think fans understand fans don't really understand like how expensive it is for a band to go on tour and then obviously that's reflected in the ticket prices and people like moaning like oh well why is it a hundred bucks to see this band or this and well you got hotels you got buses to pay for you got crew to take care of you got production to pay for. Yeah. Production. Every light yeah. you bring out on the road, you're renting it. Merch, like even merch costs like are up. You know, the cost of like a blank t-shirt is up. Everything is up. So um, yeah. it just, 
it affects every every little nuance of touring but you know the the best thing to do obviously is just not worry about it and put your head down write music and put on yeah. a great show and yeah. you also have to buy the awesome John Vervedo's clothes, which ain't cheap. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. Actually, I do have some jeans on right now. Yeah, those aren't <laughs> cheap, um, but they're very they're very generous with us, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, talking about music wise, I mean, yeah, you know, you had the record outs, but fantastic songs. There, are you guys still writing? You working on some new stuff? Maybe we'll get some some new jams before the end. Yeah, of the year? we're. Uh, I just we all just met a few days ago um, to work on some stuff and. We're just trying to, I think we're going to decide maybe at this first sound check or not, if we're going to do a new one um, at this first show. And nice. I definitely, I would definitely expect to hear some new music on this tour, which is cool. When it comes yeah. to the Dirty Honey sound, I mean, Mitch, obviously we talk about it's kind of like that late 70s, early 80s, more blues rock kind of sound. Mm -hmm. I mean, at some point, do you see yourself maybe jumping out of the lane a little bit and doing a little bit more of like an experimental thing, you know, throwing some cannonball snares, some bigger sounding guitars, or is the Dirty <laughs> Honey sound the Dirty Honey sound? No, I think, um, you know, the bands that I love are Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, um, ACDC doesn't really fit into this category that i'm i'm throwing out there of bands that like acdc is their own thing they yeah. do it so well and you know it's them every time like a song starts it's just they have a thing and it's usually heavy and riff based and awesome zeppelin aerosmith the stones they kind of do this like more explorative approach to different genres of music where they'll do a song that's acoustic or like the stones will play a country song or Zeppelin has like going to California and the rain song that are these like yeah. beautiful hot dog. Yeah. Hot dog is way out of left field. <laughs> um, but you know, those are the like artists that I really, you know, aspire to be like, you know, a band that can do everything, um, but still has their own like identity in these different lanes right. of rock. Well, look, I mean, know? it also goes down to producers as well. I mean, you got Jack Douglas and then you got Mutt Lang. Yep. And one sounds complete opposite of the other, but <clears throat> equally the bands still have that sound, you know? Yeah. And I mean, Aerosmith, the voice of Steven Tyler, like is a huge part of that band. Um, you know, I think anytime you have that like consistent voice, you know, like holding your hand through the music, it's going to sound like Aerosmith, you know? So yeah, it's, right. it doesn't matter if it's who the producer is and the same goes for all those bands I just mentioned, you know, that they have their own identity in the music. So, yeah. Um, even that like country record he put out like not too long ago, like you heard it, like, well, these could have been Aerosmith songs. Like, <laughs> I mean, totally. Like he's even said a million times, he's like crazy crying. Um, amazing. Yeah. Like there's so many songs that like could, he did it on tour, like put a little country flag yeah. into Angel it. could have been a huge country hit this year. Yeah. I mean, those aren't my favorite like Aerosmith tunes, to be honest. I mean, I love, oh, I love the ballads. Oh, oh, no, you know, you got to go rats in the cellar combination. Nobody's yeah, fault. Man. That's where you got it. You can't. I mean, I love it too. I love what it takes. Like that's definitely. Oh my God. Tell me what it one. takes. <laughs> it's so good. Do you have to look the up. End there's of a Aerosmith. Those songs. It was. It was. It was the beginning of the. Come end. on, man. <laughs> Ragdoll. You don't like Ragdoll? No, oh. Ragdoll is great. By the uh, way, Ted Nugent does a cover of Ragdoll, which is hilarious. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. There's a live it. version of what it takes floating around the internet right now. It's it's probably like 20 years old, but Steven Tyler is so good on this version. It's 
it's literally incredible. Yeah, that I love. I just love that chord change where it goes up to the pound. Tell mm -hmm. me what it takes to let you go. And it's so that chord change just gets me every time. Our manager worked on. He was like a promo guy for that record, and he was like that song, man. He was like that song was so huge. It was awesome. Yeah, it's, listen, it's a great song. But when they got to get a grip, and the songs were amazing, crying, and it was just like, oh, good god. You didn't like it. It was too many. There was like four ballads or five ballads on the album. It was like enough already. Yeah, crying, crazy. What were the other ones? I don't know. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, that was about. And, and then the rock songs like Fever and they were just Fever's very great. Man. You don't like it, that one? It, it's not Flesh. I love Flesh. Okay, but it's not Walk This Way. No, I mean, <laughs> dude, that song's got swagger that's like one yeah. in a billion. Uh, yeah. And look, you I, slap on Pump and it's like you hear Bruce Fairburn's production like on those, the drums on Love in an Elevator. I mean, come on. So good. You man. know, and you know what? The best song on Pump was a song called Ain't Enough and it was the Japanese bonus track. So only <laughs> like one little small part of Asia got to hear the best I know that song too. on that record. It's a great song. There's another one, I think it's from the Get a Grip called Head First. That's a really good tune. That yeah, that's on Get a Grip too. Yeah. Um, anyway, Mark, this is the Aerosmith podcast. Living on now. the Edge was so slow. Anyway, <laughs> listen, ultimately, you're the voice of Dirty Honey. Uh, yep. You're the Steven Tyler of Dirty Honey. So you can start replacing all the band members as long as the voice is there. <laughs> oh yeah yeah right no no i think there's a there's a very deep like honestly there's there's a deep songwriting connection i mean songs okay. can happen any any way um whether if it's it's just me like playing acoustic or it can be john like bringing something in or justin or whatever like Corey, obviously anytime like Corey plays drums on anything we do it's always better so it's like and we have like we kind of know like when we're on to something that's gonna become a song, mm -hmm. um, right? But you know, drum good... machines don't talk back. You can, yeah, you... yeah, that's true. That's true. That is a bonus. That's a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do auto tune guitars and uh, right. my bad comps takes on Logic. You know. <laughs> Jokes aside, though, talk to me a little bit about the writing process because you came out uh, out of the box and there were, there were no songs. You were a live band. Then there was an EP. So. It seems in a way that you sort of went backwards in the approach, whereas you like normally you have like the debut album and then you go tour it, but you went and toured and then you went, oh yeah, an EP would be kind of a good idea, wouldn't it? And then you did the album. So talk to me about doing it that way. Yeah, I think that like ideology is like in an effort to get some label interest going and stuff right. like that by releasing a couple songs seeing what happens obviously if the songs are good enough you can create some opportunities for yourself of course um you know with, with live shows with bigger artists or whatever but um you know it really wasn't any different than what we'd been doing what we okay. did in the early days was we would write songs play them in the bars and clubs over and over and over again until they got refined to a point where we were like, people are responding to this. And then we went out and toured on that EP, did the same thing with new music on that tour, like played a few, played the wire, played, take my hand, played, um, got a couple others, whatever, yeah. just played some new songs, went back to the writing room, you know, with some maybe adjustments that we tied up was another one that we played a lot. Um, mm, right you know, tinkered with them and maybe made them better and then tried them out again, live, whatever, then did the record. And like, that's the same thing we plan to do with this next batch of tunes is like, 
maybe we'll play like two or three new ones on this tour and see how yeah. they go. And if people respond to them, great. If they don't, then maybe they need to be worked on a little more. You know who else did that a lot back in the day was Dennis Pop, the big Swedish producer. You know, he worked with Ace of Base. He was Max Martins, you know, basically, you know, I, I his Mont Lang. You know, I mean, he taught him pretty much everything. Yeah. And Dennis would, he was a club DJ and he would, he would produce these tracks and then he'd bring him to the club and see if it got the people moving, see yeah. how they reacted to it. And then he would go back to the studio the next day and make adjustments, make adjustments to this and then bring it back. And that's how he developed all of his songs. So I think it's a really good approach to it. And Springsteen did like a version of that where he likes to, at least in the early days, he liked to record the song, listen back, you know in the studio and then maybe there are like some words and stuff that he didn't love or like didn't sound good and he would listen to it for a few days go back and do it again but i mean obviously he has the luxury of like million dollar studio budgets to yeah to do that but um well you, you know, got your sm7b process. and your logic i mean you, you i do yeah now i do but <laughs> i like i do like to to feel the energy of an audience and how they're responding to a song i have yeah. always liked that getting their like complete vanilla fresh approach and fresh ears to it and getting a genuine like really looking and seeing their genuine reaction yeah. is one, one of my favorite things test. that one of my favorite things that joe elliott ever told me was um phonetics is way more important than lyrical content and you listen to some of those Def Leppard songs and he's absolutely right. I mean, you listen to Armageddon, it, it makes zero sense, but you can sing along to that and you know every word. When you're writing your lyrics, I mean, is the lyrical content really, really important to you? Like, are you trying to tell a story or? I am, but yeah, I do like to keep it somewhat vague. Um, right. In that Robert Plant, like Steven Tyler sort of cryptic way, Jagger too. Um I'm like country is a completely different animal where they're literally talking about ripped jeans, buds, and like trucks. Yeah. That's not my style. You know what I mean? <laughs> I specifically remember being somewhere and hearing like, a, it was, I think it was like a Miley Cyrus lyric. Some pop star was talking about texting. And I was just like, that's not my voice in music at no. all. It's still weird um, to hear words like that in music. It is. It's like putting the music in its own little time capsule, you know, because who knows what we're going to be doing 10 years from now. We might just yeah. I don't know. Um, but it's funny, like lyrics like that, you know, back in the day, but, you know, pick up the phone, but now it's like, blow up my snap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so my, my, my song phone. about ColecoVision yeah. and Commodore 64, just, they're not going to, they're not going to work. I, I mean, they could, it's just, you know. <laughs> God, ColecoVision. You wrote that? Did you write that? I did. I wrote a great song about ColecoVision and the Commodore 64 and... <laughs> <laughs> and now the number one song in America, Commodore 64 Mitch by Mitch LaFall. Yeah. It's a great song. It's a great song. Uh, Dirty Honey's going to be performing in Montreal Club Soda yeah. on September 19th. You pick up your tickets now. Of course, doing a whole bunch of dates across the US and yeah. Canada. Uh, just go and see them. They're just absolutely brilliant. I mean, you're doing a bunch of shows this summer with Guns N' Roses and Kiss. Uh, out of all those bands, who's the nicest to work with? The nicest to work with? Um,. So we were out with Guns N' Roses, Gary Clark Jr., Rival Sons, and Kiss, and then a bunch of festivals filtered right. in there as well. The Kiss crew, a lot of them, a good chunk of them overlapped with the Black Crows uh, crew from wow. whatever last summer. So cool. we got really, really well taken care of there. And they were, for me, the biggest surprise Um like Paul Stanley was awesome. Gene Simmons was super nice. Uh, and like, they just, honestly, they blew me away. I did not expect to like kiss that much. I got the shirt, man. I'm like 
full wow. in. I was shocked. Literally, I was shocked because I'd seen them before with Aerosmith. And I, you know, I was so like blinded by Aerosmith that I just, whatever, I, I just didn't remember much about it other than fireworks. And they just sounded great. And the show was awesome. And they were nice to us, which was a nice yeah. surprise as well. But uh, took a lot of time and and got to talk to them and met Doc McGee. That was, you know, a nice Doc's treat. great. Doc, Doc McGee man. is at their show in Budapest. I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, he's at every show. He, he tours. Goes, I go to every man. show. I go to. Every- somebody's got to collect the money, right? <laughs> yeah, but they were and great. He's got man. great stories. Whenever you talk to him, he's, he's got a great story. He was great. Always. He was great. The whole band was great, and um, I was just so surprised at how good they sounded and how much I enjoyed that show. I'm like totally in on yeah. Kiss now. Hey, yeah. this, is, this might be a really weird out-of-the-box question, but I just came back from a big music festival here in Montreal, and it blows my mind how the inner workings go on backstage and stuff, you know, trying to get artists from Artist World on the golf cart to, the, like, all the logistics. Was it he- Which one was it? Uh, I was at Lasso in Montreal. It was okay. a country festival. A country one, yeah. yeah. At Heavy Montreal a couple of years ago, they had Dirty Honey on, like, Planet A, and they had the Artist World on, like, Planet B, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> it was, that it was, is still the the best festival we've ever done. Just in the way everybody treats you, the yep. catering, the artist catering world, like great. it was just so so awesome. So, but yeah. what was your question? I was going to yeah. say, like, is it like is it a hassle as an artist to go to these festivals, like rolling up there trying to get your credentials? Like, what's like the backstage process like for the artist? Like, I don't know if it's a hassle. It's just definitely. I mean on some level it's exciting to like be around other artists that you love and you're obviously going to interact with, you know, and cross paths with that's cool. But I mean, yeah, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, like getting credentials and stuff, but it's, I mean, I don't, I don't have to deal with that obviously. Um, But yeah, it's more than anything. It's exciting to just like be in a new atmosphere. It's not your show. Yeah. That's obviously the most cush position is just to have your own show. And have you ever been an artist on a bill like that with multiple artists and you were told that you were not allowed to speak to A, B, and C artists if you see them? No, no, I haven't. But no, I did have a good laugh when uh, we were with Guns N' Roses. I get like the the all access, like laminate and everything. And like the yeah. literally we're in Europe somewhere and I have literally, it's like Guns N' Roses, all access. Yeah. First door I try to walk through. You can't come in here. I'm like... Oh, okay. But I have the God Pass. I have a God Pass. Why? Yeah, and they're like, "No, you don't." I was like, "Got it." Okay, cool. That's I'll see you later. What, was it like Axel's dressing room or something, or like? <laughs> it was just a doorway where you know, like only. I mean, they were understandably like they're a little more COVID precautious than okay. You know, insert the name of whatever festival we did. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's not a lot of commingling there, and they they don't even get to the venue like those guys until like thirty minutes before stage, probably. Jeez, that's the life yeah, right there. It's a nice life. That's a nice life, man. I wouldn't either if I could do that. Like, right? Good Wouldn't you want to? You'd want to stay in the room at the Ritz and you know thirty minutes before roll up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's I, listen, probably me- what they're doing. Yeah, Metallica at Heavy Montreal. They landed mm-hmm. at about seven o'clock, and they had an eight thirty stage time. And they went from the stage to a van to a private plane, and they were back in San Francisco at the end. Wow. You know, so yeah, that's the way to do it. They um a lot of the like bigger acts, especially in like Europe and stuff, are doing hub cities where they're like fly right. private. Mm-hmm. You know. 
the so so what do you need to get there what does dirty honey have to do to get to that level (laughs) we need uh to sell a couple million records and a couple million tickets i think and then uh, we can do that i don't honestly like i've said for a long time like i don't really care obviously being like a stadium act would be amazing of course you know i don't i really like in terms of we so now we've played arenas we played stadiums we played amphitheaters we played everything clubs theaters my favorite size venue is a theater that's what i feel i connect the most with the audience with have the best time myself with i feel like people that aren't there's not people that are too far away from the show right. that are getting it's immediate. There's cheated a, a reaction. Of, yeah. Yeah. A stadium. It's a really the cool. They're like stadium shows for me as a fan are, are not, I don't like them. They're, they're too big. An arena yeah. is a great place. And of course a theater is fantastic. There's too much. The, the variation of like the sound from stadium to stadium, you really never know what you're getting. We were in uh, Warsaw. Too much echo, too much air. It's oh everything. my God. I was, so I was in Warsaw with guns and like the echo in this place was crazy for us. Slap. And then it's it was it was like a 15 second echo at this <sighs> venue. And then uh, I actually was, I was actually watching the Rolling Stones in London with ACDC's sound guy telling him what we just experienced at this place. And he was like, dude, I've mixed there and it is a nightmare. It is, it's, they should never have a concert at this place, Wow! but they can sell 60,000 tickets or something there, which is still pretty awesome. Nobody seemed to be complaining though. So (laughs) I'm just waiting for the day when um, people can just roll up with their own in-ear monitors and plug into their phone. Instead of a PA system, you just get the mix right to like Bluetooth. (laughs) That would be fantastic. Now, by the way, if if you start uh, playing rib fest, is that when you just sort of quit? You just go, I'm not doing rib fests. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Rib Uh, fest is, it's not where it's at. I don't even know what that is, but there's a lot, there's a lot of rib fests around here that, that book bands. And it's, it's like, you know, you know, whatever, a faster pussycat playing the Cornwall rib fest. And you go, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, LA guns performing at the bowling alley. Like, you know, it's- <laughs> Oh really? Oh God. <laughs> but we love those bands. Yeah. We love those bands. Anyway. Thank God. Well, we look, um, dirty honey coming back to Montreal tickets on sale. Now club. soda September 19th, but honestly, go pick them up. Uh, go see them. Go see multiple shows. We need to get them into the private jets and the Ritz, man. Uh, <laughs> The Ritz were okay. Yeah. We sometimes, you know, we can we can make that happen. But uh the private jet, yeah. I don't have sixty grand to blow one way. Right. Uh just a, a yeah. really random question. I was I was reading this interview with Phil Collin from Def Leppard. He was talking about how like TikTok and social media is ruining things for rock bands these days. Like uh, do you how do you feel about the whole social media thing? And it's like, is it hard to get the band name out there and like get people to want to pay attention to it? I yeah, no, I don't know. Listen, that's not my expertise but i definitely see like there is a cultural shift happening i think where people are fans of artists just because of who the artist is it's got nothing to do with the music right right i feel that's the connection with somebody like um who's the gigantic rapper that people died in was it houston oh Oh, yeah yeah. Uh, travis scott travis scott i feel like that Sure, there's probably a lot of people that really like the music, right? Um, But on a way larger scale, people are, um, you know, just having a connection with him and his lifestyle. Or I was going to say, it's it's a lifestyle thing. 
yeah, it's it's totally that they want. And when they go to see him live, they're getting a connection to the lifestyle that he's associated with more than the music. I don't even know like this guy's music at all. I know he's a gigantic artist. One song, I think. And and I work in top 40. It's not my wheelhouse like at all. It's fine. Like whatever. I'm not a huge hip hop or rap guy, but like I'm familiar of other hip hop artist music. I just don't know this guy's tunes, Yeah, which is fine. Like there's a million people, a billion people that don't know my music, but that is something that's happening. And I think TikTok and social media is definitely driving that element of fandom where, you know, what I try to use it for social media, at least is like facilitate people like creating a connection to your music. That's what I am trying to do with it, I guess. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, that's the shift I'm seeing. Yeah, it's interesting though. I mean, you talk about that. It really is about the lifestyle. Like people go to, I mean, how does this guy get to have his own festival and his own burger at McDonald's and like all this? But I couldn't name you five songs on the back of my hand. Like it's it's crazy. You know, how, how do we get, him. Yeah. How, yeah. How do we get Dirty Honey to that level? Though? How do we get, how, how, what's the Dirty Honey lifestyle? What's, what are you trying to sell? I mean, listen, we're a rock and roll band. Like <laughs> the shit we're doing is not going to wind up on social media at any point in my life. I hope not at least. Yeah, but why know. not? That's what I mean. I mean, like it's, it's there. Right. And it, it could, that's part of rock and roll. You know, it's mystique. I don't, mm-hmm. when I walk into a, a shitty, you know, rock bar in Montreal, like whatever happens that night happens. I don't need to document the whole thing. That's not my life. You know, I don't right. want that to be my life. I'm, I'm trying to get rid of the phone. That's what happened to me in Europe is my phone stopped working because of whatever. Yeah. It stopped working for like a month on tour and I could only use it when I was connected to Wi-Fi. It was an unbelievably liberating thing to just mm. like not have to carry it with you and not have to worry about it and like figure out how to get through this city without your phone, you know, like like yeah. the old days. That was cool. Not having to put up an Instagram story like here's my breakfast or listen, I live those days. I- I'm glad I have a phone. Do you get pressure from the label and stuff though? Like, no, yo, you people. I don't have a label. Well, like, or like your handlers, like management. You know, people like to live vicariously through you. Know, bring them through your day. Like, show them your breakfast and your stuff. Like, you get. So the band we're taking out, Max Saturn, they they definitely had a nice, um, like they definitely have a nice relationship with social media and stuff. And I see what they're doing, and it's really working great for them. But it's working on that like lifestyle thing, I think. And um, you know, we're just taking a different approach i guess for now dude i'll give you an example like, even in radio this day and age like you can't see a, a job posing for a radio host without being a social media assassin and how to yeah. connect yeah. with audiences on a digital platform globally and like you know all these things like even for me i get told by my program director like oh you know what did you do today and i'm like well i got up i made some oatmeal like oh well, why didn't you put that on your instagram story you know the audience likes to you know see nobody that stuff. cares I mean, that's that's all dead. Here's a fun little fact for you. I was in the video that everybody that has Instagram, obviously you have an, an email associated to your account. Yeah. I'm in the video that was emailed to you to introduce Instagram stories to the world. It's what? Pretty, yeah, it's crazy. If you go back deep in your Instagram emails, you'll find you'll find a little video that I'm in. Did you get? Did you get funny. paid for that, or did they just? Of course, it? man. Of course, it's LA, <laughs> baby. <laughs> but it's so funny. It's it's funny to hear from a band perspective. It's like, yeah, you know what? The fans don't care about that stuff. You know, I don't think so. Uh, Mitch, as an older consumer, do you care about seeing Mark LaBelle's breakfast? No. <laughs> no. I don't think anybody does. Now, if 
if he was on stage and he was showing the audience reacting to like like selling me the excitement of a dirty honey live show that i would watch now mind you i wouldn't watch it for an hour he, he gives me like three minutes a night of hey we're in our encores and here's what detroit look that, that would be cool yeah yeah but he, you know here i am having a, a half grapefruit on the side of the beach while i wait to play my gnr sh- no don't care yeah yeah but i'm old so yeah. No, it's it's just interesting because you know kids I'm, kids seem to like that vicarious experience of oh my god I get to be in Mark LaBelle's world for for today he's taking me to the subway with him it's like great not for me yeah yeah it was interesting like we, we had just finished with GNR in Milan and we went down to Bologna I think for the day and there were some fans getting off the train the next morning clearly coming back from Milan and I was getting on a train and like. They recognized me, like freaked out for a second and just wanted a picture. And I was like, man, like, I want to know like what you guys are doing today. I love Italy. Right. So I'm like, yeah, where do I go in this town? Like, do you guys live in like that conversation never even happened? You know, she was just like, oh my God, holy shit. They were just like fangirling. Yeah. Which is a nice feeling, right? Yeah, it's cool. Like it was wicked unexpected um, there because like obviously when you're opening for GNR, like you're not the focus, you know, they are, and you don't really, you don't really know if you're making a connection or not. Italy was a little different. I, we definitely did. That was a big, big show. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was, that was definitely unexpected in Bologna the next morning to meet like 10 like fans from the night before. It's crazy. Well, look on September 19th, you're going to have people in Montreal freaking out about you outside of club soda. So love Montreal. Can't wait. It's always good. Uh, they're going to be performing at the park theater in Winnipeg on August 29th, hitting Saskatoon, the Starley room in Edmonton, which is a great venue, by the way, uh, Commonwealth in Calgary, Rickshaw theater in Vancouver on uh, September 5th. And all the way here in Montreal, on September 19th, at club soda, get your tickets. Now Ticketmaster.ca. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Welcome back to the show. Anytime. Good friend of the show. Mark LaBelle is, I'll tell you that. You too. And if you guys want to come, let me know. An all-new episode of the Mitchell Fun and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch Lafon and at Jeremy White MTL.